I mess up big time, right? I'm like, I, I always tell people I'm a deacon, but I'm a horrible deacon, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a disciple, but I can be a terrible disciple, right? But that doesn't change the fact that I'm beloved of God. And when I recognize that, I, I can actually surrender my sinfulness. And, and that's the part of surrendering. When we talk about repentance, it isn't just surrendering the action. It's surrendering the definition that comes along with it, the, the, the false identity that comes along with it. We've got to surrender that. We've got to surrender our hopes and our dreams for who we are and, and what our life will be like so that the dreams of our creator can take root. There's so much more there. But once you live in that truth that you're beloved, then when you sin and we will sin, right, we can surrender it to the, the Father's love. And, and then we become more like we were created to be. We grow in that. And it's just a, it's a beautiful cycle. But when you're trapped in the lie, you can't surrender, you go to the sacrament of reconciliation and you know in your head I've been forgiven and you walk away still bound. That's, that's, a, that's a real challenge for the church today. Welcome to Stories from the Street. I'm Brian. And I'm Beth. And today we're blessed to have Deacon Keith Strong from N3 Ministries. He's a deacon in the Archdiocese of Chicago. And today he's going to be speaking about the 10 biggest lies of the enemy. I hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks so much for having me on, actually. I think I told you I was going a little stir-crazy, uh, just sort of being mostly stuck at home. So it's just beautiful to speak with you guys and and just to share stories. So oh. I'm excited to be here. Well, Deacon Keith, we're so blessed to be able to have you on. If if those who are listening, if you haven't, we encourage you to just go back and listen to the podcast N3 Ministries, where you break open the curriculum for us. Uh, that was a wonderful podcast. And But now we're, we have you back, and this is a topic I'm really excited to get into uh, the 10 Biggest Lies of the Enemy. Uh, but before we do that, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. You know, I actually began doing ministry when I was, I, I say really young now, like when I was probably 18 or 19. Yeah. Uh, and it started in youth ministry because I didn't back away fast enough when someone said we need volunteers. So everyone else backed away <laughs> and it looked like I stepped forward. So uh, uh, I started there in youth ministry um, and it was just a beautiful time. And I, and I worked in youth ministry as a volunteer and then eventually on staff really up until about five years ago. So a big chunk of my life there. Then I began to work with adult ministers of youth and then adult catechists, forming people. And then I really began to get active in evangelization. So I did that for a long time, connecting up with uh, Sherry Waddell's organization, um, the Catherine of Siena Institute. And I worked there. I was a collaborator with her for about 10 years. Um, In 2008, I took a job as uh, the director of evangelization for a parish here in the Chicago uh, suburbs, Queen of the Rosary Parish, amazing. And I was ordained a deacon in 2015 and served as the director of evangelization for the Archdiocese for a brief period of time. And uh, then in 2016, I felt the Lord calling me out into full-time traveling ministry, and that's when I began M3 Ministries. And we really focus on helping parishes and dioceses really transform their culture to become communities of missionary disciples. Wow. I feel yeah. like we just went through, if we believed in reincarnation, I couldn't have done that in like three lifetimes, but we don't. <laughs> you did all that in one lifetime and what God has given you. That's incredible. I just hope to be able to do half the things that oh. you've already accomplished in your work in ministry. It seems like you've done, uh, gosh, has called you so many places. You've been such a gift uh, to the church and I'm certainly a blessing for um, in Chicago and now opening that up to all parishes, you know, in, in this country and likely around the world. So I wanted to ask you, even before we get into our topic, just uh, just because we're in this pandemic right now, how has ministry at all changed for you since the beginning of this pandemic? Well, what's really fascinating is because the, the formal parts of M3 Ministries have essentially, I mean, been dormant 
since March. I mean, I remember there were three days in March where all my events for the next six months were uh, just canceled up in, in a span of about three days. And then uh, just recently, uh, like two weeks ago, the rest of my events for 2020 were canceled and even into 2021. Um, so ministry has shifted a, a little bit. One, uh, because it's less formal. Um, I do still accompany parishes. I have about three or four parishes I work with. Um, and I sort of was finishing out my kind of accompaniment contracts with them. Uh, and then it's just been kind of bolstering them up. Um, yeah. uh, and I've done a couple of uh, retreats online. Uh, so it's really kind of moved into a much more of a virtual place. Um, and then, of course, I'm assigned as a deacon in my own parish. And so that has been um, just a real blessing and to see the challenges of parishes up close. Um, and so one of the things I always say when I'm talking with people about um, just the reality of where the church is right now is that we have to be really careful because we worked so hard at the beginning of the pandemic. I was really proud, right? We, as, as a church, right, we're not known for moving fast. Um, but yet as the pandemic really began to um, take hold and uh, things began to shut down, many parishes started to put things online. And I think they did that heroically and incredibly, uh, you know, beautifully. But I think there's a real danger that we have. And, and that is that we can just sort of take the maintenance culture that we have in our parishes and transport them online. So rather than coming to our pews and passively receiving content, now people can passively receive content you know, from the comfort of their own chair. So we have mm-hmm. to really be careful. Like the heart of evangelization, as you well know, is relationship. So, you know, really how has my ministry changed is it's become even more focused on sowing into relationships and into people because I don't have events and I'm not talking to 300 people or a thousand people. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe talking to one or two people and I've got to really be intentional about that heard women say at some of my different events it's like yeah this is great i don't don't even have to get out of my pajamas i can you know mass with my coffee and i'm thinking somehow i it somehow it just doesn't seem right and although i'm i think it's great that you can get to mass when, when we couldn't have mass at all it was a beautiful thing but there was a little bit of a distortion in it too yeah, and I think I have a friend, uh, Tim Glimkowski. You you might know him. He wrote a wonderful book. I wrote the foreword to that book for him. It's called Made uh, for Mission. And um, he he had a, a a post on Facebook where he was just like laying out, like it was kind of a prophetic post. Who cares about this? Who cares about that? And and then I felt inspired by the Holy Spirit, or I don't know, maybe I was just grumpy that day. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I put up there, I sort of added, and here's an addendum, like who, who cares how many people uh, came to your online mass or your, uh, you know, your Facebook page or like, that's fine. But really we measure, um, fruit in terms of outcome, in terms of lives change, not in terms of numbers. And so I don't care how active you are online. What I care about is how many people have you helped encounter Jesus Christ, right? How many people have grown in their relationship with Christ? Those are the things that we need to really begin to, to talk about and measure and value but we tend to value how many likes and how many people are on the stream. And it's not that mass is unimportant, obviously. And it's not that coming to mass virtually is unimportant. But when you talk about vitality, right, when you talk about parish life, it really needs to be about the, the measuring the, the fruit of the relationships that you're building in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I think that's a great segue into the heart of our topic that I want to get into today is the book that you wrote, The Ten Biggest Lives of the Enemy. Uh, because we have to recognize that if our goal is relationship with Jesus Christ, 
we have a common enemy that's trying to prevent that. And so actually being able to call our enemy by name and call out these lies by name are really going to help us accomplish what our overall goal is. Uh, so I just want to ask you, like, what was your inspiration behind this book that you had written? Kind of on the foundational level, like the, the heart of the inspiration was just my experience in ministry. Like when you, when you evangelize, when you share the love of the Father and Jesus with people, you encounter people who are profoundly wounded, right? We ourselves are profoundly wounded in, in levels. And, and hopefully the Lord God has taken hold in our heart and, and we've experienced some freedom but you really see that in others. And, and so I, I was encountering over and over again, almost the same obstacles in people to receive the gospel message, right? And so it was pretty clear that they were sort of bound up in particular lies. Before one of the missions that I, or after one of the missions that I had given, it was in somewhere in the middle of Minnesota, the, the editorial director of a publishing house had been to that mission. And she came to me and said, hey, we've been kicking around this book. We think it, it needs to be written. And after coming to your mission, you're speaking right into the heart of those. Would you be interested? Uh, and out of that really came this, uh, the book, The Ten Biggest Lies of the Enemy, which really was, in many ways, an opportunity for me to really reflect on what is it that I was experiencing in this ministry of evangelization? And, and what are some of the ways we can apply the riches of the, 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 spiritual, the spiritual riches of the church, right, given to us by Jesus to help people become free from these lies? I think that's so important. You, the way you said it, you said that the lies prevent people from receiving yeah. what God has for them. It's like water on a rock. If they aren't open to it, if, they, if, they, if they're believing these lies about themselves. And before we can evangelize by preaching the kerygma, we have to first remove these, these obstacles, these lies, so that someone's heart is ready to receive. That's what I you're saying. That's right? exactly what I'm saying. And I think, I mean, that's the genius. And the church has this really rich understanding of the evangelization process. Uh, and that's why pre-evangelization is so incredibly important because sometimes just in building relationships with people, that in itself can be healing because if Christ lives in us, right, and we are pouring ourselves out for others, even on a human level, right, Christ is working through that humanity in us, right? Grace builds on nature. Uh, then, then that is opening people to the message of the gospel, right? It's preparing the soil of the heart for the seed of the gospel. And then um, sometimes they need to be just set free, which is why Jesus healed before he preached. And so if we can allow in these relationships, if we can help people recognize the truth of who they are, then they can receive, right, the reality of the Father's love for them. It's beautiful. Deacon, I got a call I, when I was reading this book, uh, it, particularly the beginning where you say that as Catholics, we believe we actually change at our baptism, that something is actually God's divine life is actually infused and becomes part of us. And, and then we go and we fall into sin and we start questioning, did that really happen? You know, why am I not changed? Mm -hmm. And I, I remember I received a call from somebody. Uh, it was actually a wife of a man who was really angry saying, I have a husband who's Catholic, but he's, he's not a very good guy. <laughs> so why hasn't he changed? And I actually, we used to go to Catholic church and now I actually don't because I met people who actually have changed. I mean, what would you, what would you say to somebody like that? Like, how is it possible that we as Catholics can believe that we are changed at baptism but somehow it doesn't take fruit or take hold in our lives. Right. I mean, I think that's just the, I mean, the reality is the sacraments aren't magic. And I think that's really important. 
I think sometimes culturally as Catholics, we've reduced the sacraments to objects, right? They become things, things that we receive, like I'm coming to mass to get communion, right? We reduce the sacraments when in fact, the sacraments are fundamentally kind of unique encounters with the love of the father in Jesus Christ. And so uh, just like any encounter, we have to be open, right? The, the, the church, theologically, the church understands the reality of a valid but tied sacrament, right? Father Conte La Mesa, the preacher of the papal household, yeah. talks about that, right? This, this, that at baptism, right, there is an ontological change, the change at the level of our being, right? We become something different. But all of the grace that God intends for us to have so that we can live out that reality uh, we have to cooperate with that. We have to say yes to it. And so a child doesn't need to, in a sense, because first of all, they're, they're, they're not at the age of reason and their parents' faith stands in for them. But at some point on the journey, we have to say yes. And unless we cooperate with that and surrender to that grace, then it remains tied. It's there, but in, in a sense, it's not bearing fruit in our lives. That's why we have so many people, so many Catholics who who might leave the Catholic church because they've never had the opportunity to hear the gospel message in a way they could wrestle with or an invitation to follow. And they they might have a Protestant brother or sister, right? Who reach out to them, preach the gospel. So they say, yes, they surrender to that message. And now the grace that's been waiting for them, right. To, to cooperate with now detonates in their soul. Mm -hmm. And now they're on fire for Jesus. And then sometimes they say crazy things like, Oh, I've never encountered Jesus in the Catholic church. And you want to be like, uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Right. And, and so I think that's important that the, that there is a, the, the beautiful idea in Catholic theology, that if we, we do, we kind of celebrate the mass validly proper form and matter, the grace is objectively present. Right. Uh, but there's another part of sacramental theology that says that the person receiving has to have uh, proper disposition. Right. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just mean in a state of grace, but it also means an openness right? And openness to receiving and, mm. and actively cooperating. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's why we have so many people receive the Lord of the universe and myself included. I'm not a saint yet. Right. And so why not because there's something deficient in God, but because I haven't cooperated sufficiently yet. I haven't surrendered my whole self yet. Deacon, is there a particular audience that you wrote this book for? Is it actually for Catholics who have received that grace, but it's it's there and it's tied? Is it for people who have not been baptized and you know they're being attacked and maybe prevent them from receiving that, or is it for both? I mean, I would say it's for both. I wrote it for I wrote it for anyone who struggles with with lies, right? Anyone who anyone who's who in, in some way finds themselves bound up in some area of life, right? From the perspective that I wrote it probably because it uses some Catholic theological terms, it's going to be more comfortable maybe for people who have some connection to the church. And if they're baptized, then they have even kind of, I would say in one sense, more access to some of the, you know, the, the channels of, of grace, which includes the sacraments, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really for, it's really for everybody because every human person is bound up in some lies, right? That's the, that's the thing there, there are none of us that just kind of walk away unscathed, just life, in a world that is wounded by sin tends to wound us. And so because of that, we carry some of these, these lies. I think it's important because it, once it helps us reveal any lies that we believe in our own life to be free from them. But then even as Beth mentioned, how does this relate to street evangelization? How do we be able to identify lies that we, when we speak to people on the street, so that way we can call them out for what they are. And maybe we can talk about how we can do that practically. Uh, but before we do uh, get into that, I just want, let's, we've been talking about them. How about we just get into a few, maybe we can get into all of them, but what are some of those common lies that people believe in and how can we fight against them? 
Well, I mean, I think I, I always call this the first move in the satanic playbook, right? If, the, if Satan had a playbook, his first move would be try to wrap us up in this first lie, which is that trying to convince us that our God is not a good father, right? If that, because, I mean, listen, if, first of all, if we, and that's exactly what he did to Adam and Eve, right? If we look at the book of Genesis, right? The serpent comes in and he says, hey, you know, you, you don't, you can eat anything in this garden, right? The Lord just doesn't want you to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do that, you're going to become like him and he doesn't want that, right? I mean, so the enemy's saying, your father is trying to keep you down. Your father is jealous of you. And so once we begin to fall into that lie that our father isn't a good father, first of all, who do we trust? And second of all, if we're made in the image and likeness of God and God isn't a good father, what does that say about us? And now that makes us vulnerable to other lies. And, and honestly, it's easy to look around in a world that is marked by sin and conclude that if there is a God, he must not be a good father, right? And that's what the enemy banks on. And, and so once we do that, then we don't want to go to God then we're afraid of God. See that, and I think there's many Catholics who are bound by that fear, right? Because for most, for I would say for most Catholics, really, there, there's a sense that God is vaguely angry all the time, and He sort of tolerates us as long as we toe the line, and so we kind of have to be on our best behavior all the time if God's going to love us. And if we go, if we fall down, then the hammer's going to come, right? And yeah. and so trying to trying to begin that way that. Because what's linked to that, right? What is linked to that lie is that I have to earn the father's love. That's right? so. That's so true. I mean, I I grew up with uh, in the '60s and the '70s, and it was all about you know Sister Mary Ruler making sure we did everything right, and and almost like right walking a tightrope. And as soon as you mess up, always striving for approval, and. Um, I heard such a, 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 a important thing the other day. I heard it said God, God doesn't approve of anyone, and he because if he can approve, then he can disapprove, mm. and approval is such a poor substitute for love. That's pretty like, profound. I'm like, that's true. That's true. I'm writing that down right now. That <laughs> <laughs> I like I, striving for his approval means that you might get his disapproval, and man, wouldn't you just rather have his love? Yep. I don't need Tim's approval. I, my husband, I, I have his love. Yep. But it's a hard, it's a hard thing to when you grew up a certain way and. Yeah, I mean, my, I mean, even in my household, right? Like, if I, not that I would ever do this, but if I had ever like disrespected my my mom or didn't listen to what she had to say, this is just a hypothetical, of course. <laughs> um, but if I did that and then something happened, like I stubbed my toe, literally, my mom would be like, "See." right god got you like literally she would say that right right god punished you yeah oh my gosh like so when you grow up kind of in that environment you kind of have a sense that i don't i don't trust god right i i had a really i had a woman in a parish that i was a part of um i was on staff for a while and she came for a healing prayer and she asked me a question though she said keith how do you know you're when you die you're going to go to heaven and I thought, well, I mean, that's a good question. It's a fundamental question, but I, this is, I was honest with her. I told her, I said, well, listen, I don't think about that question that much. And she's like, why not? And I said, because I really believe that if I, if I work on my relationship with Jesus, in other words, if I am open to growing in my relationship with Jesus, which is really what I mean by work on, right? If I, if I can cooperate with the grace that Jesus gives me to grow in union with him, he's going to take care of everything. 
And so I don't have to worry about it, right? Because I trust him. And, and then she had a profound moment. She said, well, that's it. I just, I don't trust God. Uh, and so we began to talk. And, and one of the fascinating things is that really as, as human persons, right, our image of God is shaped um, often by our experience of our earthly parents or of people in authority. And so, you know, this woman's father was distant, right? This woman's father was never satisfied, was hypercritical, never demonstrated love. And I, she had an experience when she was in fourth grade where um, she knew and at that moment she got, her dad got called into school and she says, that's the moment I realized my father wasn't on my side. And so she took that experience of fatherhood, obviously, and she brought it to her relationship with God. And so she didn't, she didn't want to get close to God because what does the father do to people who get close to him, right? He torments them. Look at Jesus, right? And so this was a, this was a serious obstacle. That was a lie that got embedded and therefore she wasn't open to, to receiving the love of the father. And so that needed to be healed before she could grow into that kind of reality of the father's love for her. I don't know where we go from there. That's it, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's extremely profound. And, you know, to be able to understand if, if we do like that trust, I mean, God wants to be able to restore that. And I think we can even give God chances to be able to restore that trust. Like God, like even be able to ask him to reveal himself to understand that maybe even be honest with him in prayer, that if we recognize that something we don't have to let him know and to give him a chance, however he can to reveal himself to restore uh, that trust in him and maybe understanding that we do have these lies that we have to believe in and we have to, we need to let go. One of them that you just talked about is the distortion in the identity of the father. That's mm -hmm. one of the devil's big lies, distorting the identity of the father. Yes. Um, I'm looking through some of these others on your list, and there's other distortions of identity that are part of his 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 playbook, as you said too, right? Oh, absolutely. Actually, um, another one which is kind of related, um, but it's a, it's a really a distortion of who we are in Him, right? One of one of those uh, those places is that the lie is that God can't save us from our sin because we have become what we've done. Yeah. In other wow. words, our sin defines us, right? And and I think that's that's really profound, and that's and that also leads to a a, a, a belief that I have to like I have to be perfect, right? But I can't be perfect because I'm broken. I'm broken, right? That's my def. That's that's my identity now. Um, and I always say that there's a difference um, between guilt and shame, right? Guilt can be can be a very powerful movement of the Holy Spirit working on our consciences, letting us know that we're not living in the way that we were created to live. And it, it's an opportunity for repentance. Guilt says I've made a mistake. And I think that's really important, but the enemy tries to convince us, first of all, that what we're about to do is not going to be sinful. All right. That's first and foremost. I love that. He's just whispering, no, go ahead do it. It's not a problem. No big deal. <laughs> go for, for, it. for these three reasons, it's not a big deal for you. Right. Mm. And then if we do it, then all of a sudden we look around and the enemy starts backing away going, I can't believe you did that. Right. God is never going to forgive you. Right. And if, you know, if you go to the sacrament of reconciliation, that priest, he's, he's not going to forgive you either. He's going to recognize your voice and he's going to know it's you and you, you are this. And so the enemy moves us from a place of guilt to a place of shame. Right. And if guilt says I've made a mistake, shame says I am a mistake. And so if we begin to fall into that lie, like God can't forgive me because I am beyond his love because of what I've done or what has been done to me, right? Then even though God is waiting and, and just pouring love out, we can't receive it because 
we're, we're, we're turned away, right? We're locked into this lie. And again, that, that it, it's, it, it has a consequence because it, it closes our heart to the love of the father. And I, I use this example. Um, my daughter, when my daughter was born, she was, she was a, a big girl. Like she was 10 pounds, like five ounces or something like oh. that. And, and whenever I know, God bless yeah, your okay. wife. That's yeah, what I, I was just about to say. <laughs> whenever I whenever I talk about that in you know in a group, it's always the women who go, oh, right, and the guys are like, "What? What's the problem?" Yeah. Right? Just push. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't realize anything was really uh, like unusual until I sent my mom and dad a picture of their new grandchild, and my mom texted back and said, "You know, congratulations on the birth of your toddler." Right? Because I just thought. Like, <laughs> what's going on. But I remember just being, when I was watching my daughter after the birth, it, it was a C-section. It had to be, there was just no way mm-hmm. she was like 90% head. Um, <laughs> when she was wrapped up uh, in, in her blankets and she had just been born, uh, my heart just was filled with love. Now I knew I was a dad before that moment, right? My wife and I had prayed over my daughter in, you know, in my wife's womb, like every night we prayed, we read the gospels to her, right? We did all of that. But seeing her face to face, something shifted in me. And, and I knew that I loved my daughter, not because of all the things she would accomplish in her life. She was just, you know, she's just there. She hadn't done much, right? Uh, and I, I loved her not because of all the ways she would be obedient to Debbie and I. In fact, the truth is sometimes we have to parent my daughter with holy water, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but I loved her simply because she was mine. And if, if I could love my child like that, how much more does the heavenly father love his children, right? Because the love of a mother and a father comes from God. And so God loves us simply because we're his. And so it doesn't matter in a sense what we've done. Our identity doesn't rest on the things that we've done or haven't done. Our identity rests in his love for us. And once we get caught up in that lie that I am what I've done wrong, it's we sort of place ourselves beyond the father's love. We're not, and the father's loving us. And we're like, yeah, yeah, but of course you can't. You can't love us. You can't love me. I'm, I'm this way. I've done that. And, and so, you know, I think like on a practical level, when you're working, when you're, when you're meeting people on the street or you're encountering people, you know, in the wild, so to speak, in the world, and the conversation turns to God, a, a, real, a real question to ask very simply is like, like, if I say the word father, what do you think of? Right? And that stuff comes up from that, right? If people are honest in that, stuff really comes up and you can begin to, like if they hear, oh, distant, right, uh, disapproving, right, then, then you know that there may be a, a, a kind of an earthly experience that might be shaping or wounding an experience of, of God the Father, and you can kind of come into that place. Um, I love your example, too, because you could use that on the street with yeah. many people, anyone that's a parent. Yep. You could use that same example. Now, uh, Brian's almost ready to experience this himself, so... You just wait till you I'm hold sure. that little one for the first time. Um, it is unlike anything else I've ever it, experienced. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I've heard, that, I've heard that for women, it's real, you know, from the moment of conception. And I think for men, uh, I've even had my guys friends tell me this, it becomes more real once the baby comes. I know intellectually, I'm, I'm a father. And for, for those who don't know what we're speaking about is my wife is due this December. Uh, so just looking forward to that day where I get to be able to meet my son. Um, it's going to be an incredible blessing, but yeah, just, just for that. I think it, it, I think I know it, but I think it's to become real to me once I'm able to hold them. 
There's yeah. going to be that, there's going to be that moment for sure. And, and for me, it rocked my world because simultaneously, as I was having that experience, I was like, oh, this is what the father sees when he looked at me. Yes. Right. Mm. And that shifted. I mean, this, this idea of who, like who God is and, and what this God thinks of me, us can shift everything for us. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's about identity. So those two lies are so, they're kind of intertwined and they're so powerful. I would say they're the two of the most common lies that I encounter. And, and it's, it's hard to, it's really hard to dig into those with the truth because, mm-hmm. you know, people are convinced that's, you know, they're bound. It's a real issue. I can, I can remember, relate to that a lot. I've talked to many um, people and uh, when I was doing mostly campus ministry and it's the things I do that are good are just things that I do. The things that I do that are bad are who I am. Mm. And it's like, I, I did a couple good things, but I know in my heart, I'm, I'm this, you know, and this, some of these girls were wounded from many different areas and it, it's hard to do that. So the first lie is that God is our father and he loves us as a father and recognizing that he's a good father. He's a good father. And the I'm second good. one, I, can, I don't think I can articulate it. The second, line. I mean, I would say the second one is the, the second lie is we are what we have done yeah. wrong or what has been done to us. And that's, and so the, that's a fundamental lie. So, and the I, truth is, the truth yeah. is that we are by definition beloved. Okay. That's fundamentally right. If, if God is love and that's his nature, right. And we are made in the image and likeness of God, then we are by our very natures, the ones who are loved. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think once you live in that truth, that's why Paul says in Christ, there's no condemnation. I mess up. I mess up big time. Right. I'm like, I, I always tell people I'm a deacon, but I'm a horrible deacon. Right. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a disciple, but I can be a terrible disciple. Right. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm beloved of God. And when I recognize that I, I can actually surrender my sinfulness. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the part of surrendering. When we talk about repentance, it isn't just surrendering the action. It's surrendering the definition that comes along with it, the, the, the false identity that comes along with it, right? We've got to surrender that. We've got to surrender our hopes and our dreams for who we are and, and what our life will be like so that the dreams of our creator can take root. There's so much more there. But once you live in that truth that you're beloved, then when you sin and we will sin, right, we can surrender it to the, the Father's love. And, and then we become more like we were created to be. We grow in that. And it's just, a, it's a beautiful cycle. But when you're trapped in the lie, you can't surrender. You go to the sacrament of reconciliation and you know in your head, I've been forgiven and you walk away still bound. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a real challenge for the church today. Yes. I, I wrote down in my very simplified way while we were talking before, I don't know if this was the good, a good summary. Uh, I said, the first lie is actually that God is not good and I can't trust him. And the second lie is I'm not good and God can't love me. That's there you go. Down. That's and perfect. That is perfect. I should, exa- I should have written that in my lies. book. Yeah. <laughs> that would have made it then, even simpler. <laughs> and then the third one or third one would be something to do with the identity of the devil and his power probably. Oh, that, well, there's another, that is another lie in there, right? And, that, and, and one of those lies is that, that third lie is that the devil is as strong as God, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a big lie. That's it. Like I, I would say most, most Catholics are afraid of the devil because for most Catholics, they kind of see, it's really interesting because most Catholics, most Catholics don't think God really works supernaturally. 
right? In a vague way, maybe in, in the mass, in the Eucharist, but they're not really sure how. But if they hear stories about a haunted house, right? Or someone who's possessed, they're automatically like, oh my gosh, that's so freaky. I, you know, I can't deal with that. They sort of believe that the devil moves supernaturally. So it's like, it's like in this battle between God and the devil, it's like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, God's like a 10 and the devil's like a 9.89. <laughs> and I have to be careful because at any given moment, you know, and I, I don't want to make light of the devil in one sense, right? I, I think, um, you know, Paul, uh, Peter says, right, be sober, right? Be watchful for your adversary. The devil goes about, you know, seeking someone to devour. He's like a lion. But I, I think that we have to recognize that the devil's a creature, right? Uh, the devil's a creature. And any freedom that the devil has right now in, is, is exercised because God in his mysterious love who loves the devil, not because the devil's the devil, but because God is God, right? He loves, God loves the devil for God's sake, in a sense. Hmm. Um, any freedom the devil has is because the Lord is allowing the devil to be in being, is, is allowing the devil to be, right? Uh, and so think about that. That's got to make the, if the devil's all about rebellion, that's got to chap the devil's hide, right? Because he owes his existence to God. Hmm. So, so the devil's nowhere near as powerful as God. The devil's not God. The devil is a creature, right? A different order of creatures than us, right? As human persons. But, and I think Pope Francis has a beautiful analogy. Well, I don't know if it's beautiful. It's wrong. <laughs> uh, I think it's beautiful in one sense, but he says that the devil's like a junkyard dog, hmm. right? And so uh, the devil's on a chain and he can only go so far. So if you want to be safe from the devil, guess what? Just don't go near the dog, right? Stay far enough away from the dog that the chain can't reach you. And you're fine. So if we stay close to the sacraments, if we have a developed prayer life, right, for 90% of the people on this planet, right, that, that will be enough, right? Mm. We don't have to live in fear of the devil. We have to be aware. You know, the devil moves, the devil tries to work, and, and he spins lies, and he works in shadows. And, you know, like lions, if you watch lions when they hunt, right, they try to, they try to get the weakest of, the, of whatever herd. And then they cut that animal off from the rest of the herd. And then they gradually circle in and pounce. That's what the enemy does. So there are obvious antidotes to that, right? First and foremost, sacramental life, frequent confession, community, right? Authentic Christian community remaining. Because what, what's our, our instinct when we fall into sin is to draw away, right? Because what is, what is sin in a sense, but an intentional withdrawing of communion, from the father and, and, and from all those connected to the father, in a sense, we draw back and we just feel guilty. So we don't want to be, a, and that's the enemy likes to isolate, right? The enemy has all of these tricks, but the grace of God is infinitely stronger than the power of the devil. And so we don't have to be afraid, but we can be so bound up because we're afraid. Oh God, you know, I work with people in deliverance ministry and I also am assigned uh, halftime to the office of the exorcist in, in my diocese. And, and what we see often by people who are overshadowed by the enemy is a, a, almost like, a, well, I'm never going to be free, right? I'm never going to be free. And because that's, that's the lie, right? The devil's like, God's, God can't free you from me. You're mine. I'm going to, you know, and, and so there's a sense of hopelessness that comes in there. But once we recognize who, whose we are and who we are, right? It becomes much harder to get trapped up in that lie. And we could be confident that the father has already defeated the devil in Jesus Christ. Right? That's the good news, right? Is it the first letter of, of John? The son of man was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. And, and so we bear 
his name. We're literally Christians, right? And so I think it's uh, Bill Johnson, who is, um, he is a, uh, a Protestant author and a pastor, but I'll talk about him anyway. He has just a really great, he just has a really great line that he talks about, which I've now completely forgotten <laughs> uh, at all. Uh, it'll, it'll come, but here's, but, oh, here's, here's what it is. So Bill Johnson, you can edit this. Just, I don't know if I'm going to edit that out. Good. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. I, this is good. Look, this is good for my humility. Let's just, this, I didn't pray the litany of humility today, but I'm living it out. This is, this is what he says. He says, he says this, that you and I were created to destroy hell for a living. Right. So so think about that. Right. So through the grace of God to overcome the power of the kingdom of darkness in our own lives, to overcome temptation, to grow in holiness and to set others free. Right. I I, I think this is so important. The church, we've got to. Oh, now I'm on a roll. Matthew, like 16, 18. (laughs) Right. This this where the Lord is having a conversation with Peter and says to Peter, hey, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. There's this whole idea in there. I think we take from that promise that no matter what happens, the gates, the, the power of the enemy will not overcome, you know, the, the kingdom of God. And I think that's beautiful. Obviously, we should believe in that promise. But if you think about it, like if you have a gate on your property, what do you, what do you create the gate for? Often it's to keep things out, right? And so if God, if, if Jesus was simply promising that, the kingdom of darkness would never overcome the kingdom of God. Wouldn't he talk about the gates of heaven? Right. But what does he say? He talks about the gates of hell, the gates of the netherworld, because the truth is that the church isn't on the defensive. Right. Mm -hmm. What Jesus is saying there is that, is that Peter, you are rock and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of the netherworld, the gates that are built as symbols, like in, in biblical times, gates were, in a sense, the, the symbol of a city's power, right? The army went through the gates. The economy went through the gates. Now, uh, what Jesus is saying is that the gates of the kingdom of darkness, the very thing set up to thwart the kingdom of heaven, cannot stand against the church, mm. right? And, and so this idea that we have to be afraid of the devil, right, is, is a lie of the devil because he's afraid of us. And so what happens if disciples live freely and fully and begin to set others free through the grace of God, right? The, so, so the victory that Jesus has already won, we get to now be a part of seeing it applied in the world. So every time the holy sacrifice of the mass is offered, ground is taken for the kingdom of God. Every time someone forgives someone else, even though they don't deserve forgiveness, ground is taken for the kingdom of God. Every time we share the gospel or work for justice, ground is taken for the kingdom of God. And, and we have to recognize that if we can, that frees us from this lie that somehow we have to hunker down and hope everything go, gets better in the future. We just have to endure whatever the devil throws at us. Oh. That's a much different attitude. Um, I never thought of it that way. It's, it's a it. totally, it's, it see, for me, it's an apostolic attitude, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a it's missionary a mission. attitude, it, yeah. right? And, and that's the reality, right? The church is missionary. And, and so, just, just so I get this straight, sorry, sorry, Beth, for cutting no, you off. I, I was just wondering, um, so what you're saying is that we are actually inside the devil's gates. We are in that we are now taking land from the devil. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, I mean, that's what happened, right? What, what happened when Jesus was incarnated, right? The kingdom of God, right, broke into time, right? The kingdom, the, the, he's the prophet of the king, he's the herald of the kingdom, and he's the king. 
And so we're in this already but not yet position mm-hmm. where the kingdom of God has come. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you, but it's not yet fully realized, right? And it'll be fully realized, right, at the end of time, uh, you know, when um, Jesus comes again and he'll, he'll build a new heaven and a new earth, right? Then all of the effects of the fall will be completely healed, right? But until then, guess what? The church is the seed of the kingdom, right? And so we are living in this apostolic age now where we are called now to take ground back to, to, I would say this, I don't like the idea of building the kingdom of God. And I don't simply because that puts too much of the power on us, right? We don't build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God already exists, right? We manifest the kingdom of God. We make it present, right? And what is, and what, and what is the mass, right? But kind of the ultimate representation, right? Of, of Jesus, right? His sacrifice is life, death, resurrection. But, in, you know, in Jesus, the kingdom is fully present, right? So Jesus is the face of the kingdom. So, so that's what we're doing like every day, right? You, you get up and you take back ground. You, you manifest the kingdom of God and that shifts and changes everything. So like uh, for, for your street evangelists, they are doing such an incredible work because they're going out, right? And they're planting the seed of the gospel and they're driving back the power of darkness. And they're, they're doing all of these things simply by being in human relationships with people and being willing to share the gospel and being a channel of God's love and grace for them, right? It's super powerful. Thank you. I, I agree. Our team, team leaders, our evangelists, they are amazing getting out there. It's, yeah. it's just a totally different perspective. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about this in parish missions, and I, like, people look at me like I've come from another planet. Because, because in many ways, our identity, right? We're, we, we believe, oh, well, I'm, really, I'm not really loved by God that much, and, and he's not that lovable, and I'm not that lovable. And the devil's really strong. And so I, the best I can do, right, is I got to just try and hold on with all my willpower to see if I can squeak into purgatory, right? That's like my, that's my goal. But this idea that we were created for more, the, 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 you know, and the, the devil wants us bound in those lives because then the church stays in the building. Yeah. Right. I love how you said um, th- this offensive posture to part of our, our mission, part of our duty is to s- help set others free. Yes. That is definitely an offensive um, it, position going it out. It absolutely is. Go out, go out I, and make I, disciples. I, mm-hmm. And well, Deacon Keith, one of the questions I had that came up from this is one, I mean, we, I think the the first step is just, understanding the lie and calling it out what it is when we recognize it, that there may be a lie that's taken root in my heart and in my life. I think the second question would be is how do we overcome it once, even after we recognize it? Yeah. I mean, that's so, that's so true. First, uh, I think we need to, we need to actually use the sort of truth, right? We actually need to apply truth to that, mm-hmm. right? We have to go, we have to go into scripture. What is, what is, how, what has the father revealed? What has God revealed to us and go into that place Bill, I, I like Bill Johnson. He has another, he has another crazy saying. He's a lot of them. One of them is that, that your shadow releases whatever overshadows you. Your shadow releases whatever overshadows you. So in other words, have you ever been in a room where someone is like one person in the room is really angry, right? And you walk in the room and you're like, what is going on right now? Right? Things are really weird here. Or someone's really happy or someone's really depressed, whatever it might be. Your shadow releases whatever overshadows you. And so if we can move into cooperation with the Holy Spirit, right, then our shadow, like Paul, right, like Peter, the shadow just releases the kingdom of God. And so we want to be overshadowed by the things of God, by truth. And so soaking ourselves in scripture, one of those ways, 
right? Dude, that we can, be, we can grow to become overshadowed. Um, so staying in the scriptures. So in the book, The Ten Biggest Lies of the Enemy, I picked out very particular scriptures for each of the lies that you can kind of drill down into, right? Unsheathing the sword of the spirit, I call it. Another piece is starting a spiritual practice, a spiritual practice that works against the lie, a spiritual practice that works against the lie. One of the lies is that basically, if I follow Jesus, it's just going to be about suffering. That's it. That's one of the lies. Basically, I think Jesus, my grandma has that lie. That's it. Well, that, that, look, that's, that's offer it up. That's that's exactly right. Because in my house, offer it up really meant suck it up, right? <laughs> Put on yeah. your big boy pants and just soldier on through this. And I come from a long line of Germans, right? So very Me stoic, too. right? Just move ahead. Um, and I, I like to say sometimes I meet Catholics who have been baptized in pickle juice, right? Because it's just everything is just sour. And so one of the, that's one of the lies. Well, one of the spiritual practices that you can adopt is actually to go through and spend time intentionally um, listing out the things that you're thankful for each day. What, were, what, are the, what are the things that I'm thankful for? What were the things that happened to me that I want to offer to God in thanksgiving? Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. Right? So for every lie, we, we want to apply a spiritual practice, right? Um, uh, it might be... Um, you know, one of the one of the lies is also like I'm alone. I'm alone. Nobody's going to help me. Nobody's going to. Un- nobody understands me. Nobody understands my pain, um, and so uh, I can only rely on myself. That's a lie. And so, one of the spiritual practices for that lie is actually intentionally during the week ask somebody else for help. Intentionally, like schedule it, write it down. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to ask for help about this. It's just really practical things. So unsheathing the sword of, you know, the spirit in, in scripture, spiritual practices. And then for each of the lies, I have a very particular prayer of renunciation. And so you can renounce the lie. I think that's really important, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we go to the sacrament of reconciliation uh, and we confess sins, but we don't renounce the things that maybe caused us to do that in the first place, the attachments, right? I see that often frequently with people who like go to get their, tarot their future read in the tarot cards or they they embrace some form of occultism they go and confess it which is beautiful and powerful but they can also renounce it just refuse to give it authority in their life in the name of jesus christ that's almost like preventative medicine and so there there is a particular i mean and it does it doesn't have to be a particular prayer but i put particular renunciations for each of the lies that we can stand and basically it just it's basically just saying whatever this is i no longer give you authority in my life in the name of Jesus. That's essentially what that is, just kind of cutting that free. And then uh, a kind of a, a final strategy is I, I try to give a saint that struggled with some aspect of that lie in their own life. And so I don't want to call them like patron saints of these lies because that it's kind of weird, but, right. <laughs> but, but they're, they're saints who struggled with particular things. And overcame right? them. And overcame them through the grace of God or persevered. So, you know, St. Teresa of uh, Calcutta, right? we find from her spiritual directors and from the journals that she kept that for like 40 years, she had a profound experience of isolation from God, no consolation in a sense, almost like a perpetual dark night of the soul. Well, when you're struggling with this lie that I am alone, she is a perfect intercessor, a perfect Mm -hmm. companion on that journey. And so I try to give a little highlight of, of that saint and then say, ask them for prayer. So kind of those are like four things I think that can really help. And they, they, I'm, I'm a practical guy. Like I love theory and I love theology and I probably geeked out a little too much uh, on this podcast <laughs> about theology, but I'm a very practical person in that book. I, I wrote it 
to be practical, right? So people can dive in. And, and it's amazing what I've seen just as in the feedback that people have given me for that book is some of them, it's not a book that you read like cover to cover a lot of times because whatever law you're struggling with, often people get stuck right in that chapter, right? The Lord just stops them right there. And some people go, I didn't think I had any troubles. And then I read through this book and then I realized the presence of this lie in my life. And so it gives them some strategies to, through with the grace of God, right, be set free. Do you think for our evangelists, it would be something that they could kind of learn some of these lies so that they can recognize them on the street and then walk people through maybe the, the prayers of renunciation, tell the yes, stories of the saints, absolutely, yes. um, you know, declare the truth. That's and, absolutely, I think that's exactly what needs to be done when, when we're, we're talking about walking with people like this, yeah. right? This, this, and, and a lot of people have like control issues. You'll see it. Right. And, and, and people, a lot of times people with anxiety also have control issues. And so when I'm praying with somebody and evangelizing somebody, I say, Hey, are you, are you ready to surrender control? And it's like, uh, I guess so. But you can lead them through a renunciation, mm-hmm. right? I, I renounce and reject control in the name of Jesus Christ. Right. And you, I do that three times, once, for, once for the father, once for the son, once for the Holy spirit. And then I'll just say, okay, and then there's usually a lie underneath that, right? I renounce and reject the lie that if I allow myself to become vulnerable, I will definitely be hurt and, and just renounce that. And, and oftentimes once that gets cleared away, then they can receive Jesus. And right? declare so the truth. Declare the truth of who they are and then receive Jesus. And it's, it can be, it, it's beautiful. They're like, it's like tools, right? In a toolbox. Mm-hmm. Every person is going to be unique. So I'm not saying everyone's bound by a particular lie and you follow these four steps to easy freedom, right? Yeah. But they're, they're tools, I think, that, that, you're, that the street evangelists can really use. And the more you are familiar with them, the easier you don't have to bring a book with you and say, hold on, I, I think it's lie number four. Right? <laughs> but if I you know have you're going to, through. but if you, you have to at that's first, fine. that's okay. <laughs> that's this totally. is lie number four. <laughs> that's funny. You know, as you're learning it and you're using these tools, mm-hmm. because one of the things our street evangelists talk about is, you know, we, we can start the conversations. We're really good at that, giving out the rosaries, um, you know, sharing different things, but getting to that second level, getting beyond, if you have, if, if you're talking to someone that is just has these lies and, and is, does not, is not open, how do you get to that ne- next level? And if you can identify and, and build enough of a rapport to help them push away some of these lives, declare yep. the truth out of scripture, tell them the stories of the saints and, and give them these practical things. You know, that, that's, that's a huge thing. I think, and I think relationship gives you that permission. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so I don't know what the situation is for a lot of street evangelists. It might be, they just see the person once. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have to hope right in that time. Okay, Lord, help us make this connection and be really open. But if you have time, especially if you have time with somebody, right, gradually your friendship will make them feel much more comfortable, right? And pre-evangelization, building these relationships isn't just for them, for them to feel more comfortable with us. Cardinal George, who was the former cardinal and archbishop here in Chicago, he said, you can't evangelize what you do not love. And so pre-evangelization isn't just an opportunity for other people to begin to trust us. It's an opportunity for us to fall in love with them, to see them through the eyes of the Father, right? Once that begins to happen, then becomes much easier to move into the next level and the next level and the next level. Mm. But sometimes, honestly, it depends on people's gifts. Certain people have different gifts for this too. But if you just say, Hey, can I pray for you? And if you get it, if you have a sense that there might be some lies there, just pray into those spaces and, and just see what 
happens and, and you'd be amazed how the Lord opens people up and then you That's can just follow the trail from there and just, and just let, you know, be guided by the Lord. But then you've got all these tools that you can just apply. Yeah. I'm just thinking, uh, it just reminded me of a story Deacon of, we had a team in Silver Spring, Maryland, where there was, there was a young woman who at the beginning of the day looked at the world and looked at herself and believed these lies. She actually believed the devil was more powerful than God. And she actually not just renounced God, but gave herself over to Satan because she believed that he had more power. And she said, God, if you are real, I need you to reveal yourself today somehow. She ran into one of our street teams. She spoke with them. She realized that this was God speaking to her, that he is in fact more powerful. Mm. And they, they walked with her. They actually, thank God that there's actually a church like nearby and that many of them went there. She actually started going to RCAA and she became Catholic this past year, um, renouncing that lie and her commitment to the devil and embracing Jesus and becoming part of his church. And it was a beautiful story. And so I think all of our street evangelists are very different. We, I, I think there's so much good that can happen even in one conversation in terms of changing someone's life. Yep. It's also really beautiful to be able to see those, also hear these stories of people who are actually walking in and journeying with into, into the church, into freedom. Um, so that was, that was a really beautiful story that just kind of made me think about how, you know, this, this particular lie, this lie that the devil is more powerful than God was actually even overcome through our evangelists on the street. And I think that's the thing. We, we can never underestimate what God is going to do, even in a span of five minutes or two minutes or a handing over yeah. of a rosary. It doesn't mean that that's all we need to do. Mm-hmm. Right. But if we, be, if we're prepared to just be used as a channel, you know, of God's love for others, amazing things will begin to happen. And I wish again, when you have this attitude of, well, I'm out on mission, right. I'm taking back ground. You're much more, free to just go, wow, what, what are you going to do today, God, right? What divine appointments are there going to be? Who, you know, how, how am I going to see you work today? Uh, and exactly. it's just beautiful to be a part of. It's, God works supernaturally. Like you said, people don't always believe that, but the Holy Spirit does amazing things. Yes. I mean, that's, I, that's the heart of it. I, I, I always find Catholics to be, unfortunately, even though we're, we are part of a supernaturally constituted community, right? Like it's, it's all, like the whole mystical body of Christ is brought together by the supernatural action of God and the sacraments, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist of initiation. We're often the least supernaturally minded people, right? Even though we believe that bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, like on a practical level, we go, Oh yeah, God just doesn't seem to work. Right. But he does. And if we allow space for that, so many amazing things happen. Yeah. Our director of street evangelization, he says that 90% of evangelization is showing up. Yep. You show up with an open heart, God, you know, God does all the work. You just have to show up. I think that is the, that is the difference, I think, between people in one sense who lead with apologetics. And, and again, not that apologetics is bad at all. It's another tool, right? But if you lead with, well, I'm going to be the one to convince this person to say yes, versus I'm, I'm a herald, right? God's, God's making his invitation through me. I'm just going to show up and see what happens, right? <laughs> so that, I, think, I think there's so yeah. many amazing things that come from that. Well, Deacon, uh, you know, we, I can't believe how long we've already been on with you. This oh is a long time. <laughs> if there's anyone still listening, I wouldn't want to listen to me this long. But luckily, you, you've been sharing with us so much wisdom. I'm sure everybody's still on, Deacon. I've been taking notes. So I think I can almost sum up everything that we've spoken about in, in a few minutes. So tell me if I'm wrong here. I, the most common lies are, one, God is not good. I can't trust him. The second one, I'm not good. God can't love me. And the way we overcome them is one is apply the truth. So the truth is God is good. I can trust them. And the second one, 
I, even, even though I'm not perfect, God still loves me and I'm beloved. And so how do we overcome these? We have to apply truth. We need to come up with spiritual practices to help us overcome them. We ask for help from our community as well as from the saints. Yeah. And and the the prayer of renunciation would be in the prayer of renunciation. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just great tools. Yeah, that's oh, amazing. That's and I really want to encourage everybody to be able to get that, that that book. You have so much more wisdom even packed into that. What we can pack it all into this podcast, the 10 biggest lies of the enemies. Where can they get that deacon? Uh, I mean, they can get it at Catholic bookstores uh, or they can get it online, Barnes and Noble or Amazon.com for okay. sure. And if they've got a bulk order, some crazy reason they can uh, go to the publisher. Okay. Well, well, that's absolutely wonderful. I just wanted to wrap up. Um, one of the things, I know you're actually starting a new initiative. I just want to give you a chance to talk about that. Um, it's called the Missionary Leadership Academy. What, it, what is that and how can people get involved? Yeah, thanks for, for this opportunity. Yeah, I mean, the Missionary Leadership Academy is, it's all of the work, uh, all of the formation that I have done over the past 15, 20 years working in evangelization and also in parish renewal and transformation uh, and I've taken all of that and put it into a kind of a growing library of online courses. So it's for people who want to be a part of uh, transforming their parish and learning how to be a better evangelizer, not just in the church, but in the world. So it's it's that, but also it is a community. It's a private community of people, right? People who are passionate about evangelization. Because often those of us who are passionate about evangelization or we want our parish to change, we feel really isolated. We feel alone. We feel like people don't, like we use words and people look at us like we're we've come from outer space and we just don't feel supported. <laughs> and so it's, so I always say like, I feel like a Martian. So the missionary leadership Academy is a place where Martians can go, right. <laughs> um, to support each other, right. To be uplifted, to share best practices, to wrestle with the course content, the formation content um, uh, together and figure out how to apply it to real life situations. And so I wish I had something like this when I was starting out because I really had nothing and I felt on my own and I probably um, would have fewer health issues if I had a community around me. So it's an opportunity because right now, I think the solution that we often have in parish renewal and, and evangelization is just, you know, we have a video program, right? And, and we have incredible video programs, um, Ascension Press and, you know, forum.org and, and Revive. These are beautiful, amazing apostolates that are doing incredible things, but videos don't transform parishes. Videos don't evangelize people. People do. And so what I'm trying to do with the Missionary Leadership Academy is raise up a generation of missionary leaders, people who feel comfortable and equipped to work in the parish, to transform uh, uh, the parish so that it can be a community of missionary disciples and transform their families and, and transform the world outside the walls of the parish. So uh, if, if people are interested, they could go to missionaryleadershipacademy.com. It's a giant, you have to type it out, uh, but missionaryleadershipacademy.com. Uh, and there's tons of information on there. Uh, it's basically either a monthly or annual subscription model for individuals. I try to keep the cost down so that um, it, that wouldn't be an obstacle for people, but it's just an opportunity to be with the community and be formed with practical um, hands-on uh, tools. And I'm sewing into that community. I'm available there. I do weekly uh, live videos and we do monthly exclusive webinars and stuff like that. So it's both a community and it's content. The, the, the That's right. That's right. In fact, w- the most important part of that is the community. The, I mean, the content is good, but it's, it really is the community that brings it all together because we have to be accompanied. I'm trying to form people how to accompany others, and it would be silly to do that without accompanying them and giving them opportunities to accompany each other. So that's what it's about. Oh, thank you, Deacon. Thank you for being on. I feel like I always get so much wisdom when you come on to our podcast. We need to have you on every week 
I, you know what? <laughs> well, I maybe will... I just need to join your academy. That's basically <laughs> what I need. I've realized that I need to do if I want to be able to soak this in. But it, you are such a gift. Uh, every time you come on, I learn so much. Thank you. Thank you guys are amazing. Honestly, I'll, as often as you ask, I'll come. So uh, <laughs> okay. honestly, I love it. Oh, great. Thank you. It, yes. So it's uh, wonderful to learn more from you and um, and all the good work that you're doing. My goodness, God has yes. uh, just really blessed you with a lot. And, and thank you for saying yes to all the different mm-hmm. ways that all the different things he's put in front of you. Oh, praise God for that, right? And so we also just want to let everybody know who's listening. We definitely encourage you to go to missionaryleadershipacademy.com to learn about what Deacon Keith is doing, as well as uh, our own website, streetevangelization.com. That's where you're going to find information about how to be able to join a street team in your area if there's not one or if there already is one, but you feel called to start one yourself. You'll, there's information on that as well. I personally reach out to you to be able to get you uh, what you need to help you get started. Deacon Keith talks about community. We have a community of team leaders that we, we meet together through video meetings. We have personal phone calls. We have coaching calls. You're not alone. We don't want you to feel alone in this mission. So we do what we can to bring you together, and we hope you become a part of it. So if you just go to our website, shootevangelization.com, you can learn how to become a, a, a great evangelist. Uh, you can learn how to actually use all these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you to help bring others to Christ as well and help help let's go do battle against against this kind of enemy let's 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 all these people who are bound by these lives or maybe there's something that needs to be untied in their hearts let's read this book and let's help set some people free yeah storm the gates praise god i love that (laughs) yeah amen well deacon keith how about can we just end with you just saying a general renunciation prayer you know for anyone who's listening if there's anything that's even done i I don't want to just say this is for the other people you know yeah yeah. i feel like every i feel like we all could even take some time just like just renounce renounce any lies that maybe we don't even know that are there and be able to help lead us to freedom that'd be great sure sure let's do that in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you, Lord God, for creating each and every one of us in your image and likeness. Lord, we praise you for making us your beautiful children. Lord, you know our hearts and you know our history, Lord, and you know that there are times in our life that we cannot accept the love that you have for us for whatever reason. Whether we don't trust you or we don't believe that we are lovable or that we just feel like we're alone or we feel like we're overshadowed by the enemy or any other reason, Lord, that we cannot accept the love that you have for us. And so today I ask that you would set us free, that you would unbind us from those lies. Lord, help us to recognize that our identity does not rest on what we've done or what has been done to us, but it rests only on your love for us. And so we surrender those areas in our life that are bound to you now, Lord Jesus. We offer them to you and we declare in the name of Jesus Christ, that these wounds, these burdens, these lies no longer have any authority over us. And we declare that we are set free because you promised, Lord, that the one whom the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. And we stand on that promise now. And we declare before you and before the world that you are Lord, that we offer you our whole hearts and our whole minds, all that we are free to give you in this moment, we offer you. And we ask, Lord, that you would take those burdens, those lies that we've given to you, and in exchange, you would pour forth kingdom life, new life in us, that every area in our life that has been in shadow, you would fill with your presence and your light. And we thank you, God, for what you are doing right now, for the people whose hearts you are setting free right now in this podcast or listening to this recording, whatever it might be that you are doing in their hearts, we thank you, Lord, right now for freedom, for wholeness, for grace. And we thank you especially, Lord, for your son, Jesus. 
We ask all of this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Deacon. That was beautiful. Um, So, and thank you again, everybody for listening. Just, you know, we are, we're St. Paul Street Evangelization. We're, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting our own tagline, Beth. Should I not edit this one out as well? I did. Deacon Keith. It's good for the, it's good for my own humility. I can't. We are a St. Paul Street Evangelization. Where Working we work with, with God. God. You got it. Okay. Working with God for the salvation of souls through the proclamation of the gospel in the public square. Okay. God bless everybody. Bye.